Welcome to Powers Through, a podcast for marginalized women to come together to learn, listen, and explore our existence at our particular intersection of womanness and everything else we are seen as in society. Powers Through, activism through parenthood. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Beth Godbolt of Birthside Doula, where we talk about how parenthood led her to using her voice more, why activism is important, and the United Stand in Richmond, UK that she helped to organize. This conversation is two mothers speaking openly and candidly. There is some swearing and baby cries in the background. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm yeah. hot, which like, how is, how is that? North of England and I'm hot. <laughs> What's the weather like? It's been boiling today, absolutely boiling. And the houses here are not built for this kind of heat. So it's <laughs> well, like... <laughs> it's like, it's been like 35 every day this week so far here. So wow. it's, luckily we have air conditioning. <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thank you so much for coming on to the pod. Um, oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. It's like, you know, selfishly, um, it's just a great way for me to have a conversation with you about all the things because you've been doing all the stuff. So um, and, and yeah. it was, it was, this is, you know, I, I frame this as a, as a podcast for marginalized women mm. and um, even though you're white, <laughs> Um, you are a marginalized woman, right? So we're, you got military spouse in there, mm-hmm. and, um, pagan, right? So all yeah. of the great things. And then you're also doula. And so I think you fit in really yeah. well into yeah. what, what I'm trying to do here. And I think that you can shed some light for some of the white listeners that we have as well. Definitely. The white moms who are um, kind of listening and trying to learn a little bit about what they can do and to be an active ally instead of just a performative one. Right. And, um, I've been following along as you've done, um, the United stand in Richmond last weekend and, um, and the fallout from that as well. Um, you know, and so I'd love to talk about that too, but what I really want to start with is tell me, tell me about your kids. Oh, my kids, they are something else. I know every mother says that about their own children, but yeah, they're honestly incredible. I feel like it's been such um, such a journey with them. And I don't want to sound too cliche, but it has been like a huge learning curve for me as a person, um, me as a mother, me as a wife, me as who I am in the world. Um, but yeah, they're great. So my eldest is four. Um, he's called Lake and he is autistic, um, which is fabulous because his brain just works in ways that I didn't even realise brains could work. Um, and he's so, I think this, my favourite thing about him is that he can see the beauty in literally anything. Um, and he gets so excited over those little things, which kind of brings me that joy. Um, and Kit, who is nearly two, he turns two next month and he is the polar opposite. I like to joke that they're both ice and fire because Lake's got white blonde hair and Kit has super red hair and they are so different, so different. And so they've kind of tested me in different ways, um, and brought us different things and it is, but it's such a joy. I, you know, I've, I've been through some really hard moments when parenting them um but I'm really enjoying it at the moment I really am I think when we become parents um it turns into it's not about me Mm. it's about the legacy that I'm leaving or creating for my children you know and um what I've seen so we've been friends for about four years yeah it's crazy, that's like crazy it? right yeah, yeah. um and I, over those four years so like my oldest is nearly seven I don't know how that happened but that's crazy but like kind of the difference between having that first child and the second one and kind of navigating the world with these real two really different children mm. um 
because like you, my two children are very different. Like Max is very reserved, Freya's pretty outgoing. Yeah. Uh, she's pretty uh, energetic, enthusiastic, yeah. will try anything once. <laughs> and Max yeah. is very cautious yeah. and won't really do any of that. And so um, he, he takes calculated steps when he is trying something and gets yeah. very frustrated when he doesn't get it right the first time. Yeah. Um, so they both have a little bit of me in them, a little bit of their dad as well. Um, but when we were, when we were talking about you coming on, mm-hmm. um, you, you said that you didn't really get into activism, if you will, until you had children. Yeah. And so can you tell me why you weren't really an active activist before? So I think there's a couple of factors that I would say. Um, a, a huge one was age. Um, and I think that this is something that I don't know whether most people feel, but as I've got older, I just kind of care less. And I mean that in the sense that I kind of care less about what people are going to say about what I want to do, um, which has helped. But at the time, I mean, I fell pregnant with Lake when I was 20. Um, so quite young and a bit controversial within kind of our family and, and over here. And um, I didn't really, I think I was comfortable before. And, you know, that's, that's part of my, despite being from a working class British family, um, very, very comfortable. I am really lucky to have the, a natural thirst for information. So I'd consider myself educated, um, white huge a huge thing I have quite a neutral accent as well um which is quite helpful you you know what accents are like in in England as well if you have a certain accent you can kind of be seen as like lower class or upper class and it just kind of makes people judge you so I'm quite lucky that I have quite a neutral accent um so lots of things stacked in my favor and it felt comfortable you know it was one of those things where like why why rock the boat um it is that that privilege of being able to go it doesn't it doesn't kind of bother me um that said though I've always had the a sense of what I'd consider right and wrong and from a very young age um I have spoken out about things that you know I didn't consider fair I mean I'm talking like what seven or eight year olds consider fair at this point but you know kind of things like that and I struggled with quite a lot of um, sexual abuse and, and harassment during my teens so I was kind of like speaking out about those things and I think I just kind of realized it got to a point where I didn't really feel listened to nobody was doing anything about anything anyway so like what's the point let's just stay comfortable but then obviously the boys come along and I think the the era in which they were born has been huge for what I would consider really negative things happening in the world. So late was born in 2016 and that was when the Tories were voted in again in the general election. Um, it was when Brexit started and that was all voted. Um, then we had, um, we've obviously had the, um, the issues over in America that have reflected here. Um, and, That has been a particularly difficult one recently because obviously everybody's like over here, oh, but it's in America, it's miles and miles away. Donald Trump is something that I'm very vocal about as well. And I get a lot of, but he's not our president. Like we're not over here. And I'm like, yeah, but he's influencing so many things over here. The natural disasters as well. So the environmental impact that we're having on the planet. And like, I've got these two kids now and I'm looking and I'm thinking, this isn't the world that I want to leave them and I don't know what to do. And I think a big thing as well, when I, when I was pregnant with, um, with Lake, I was desperate for a girl. I was adamant. I couldn't raise boys. Um, I had a lot of mistrust in men in general. Um, and I was like, I can't, I can't raise boys because they'll just end up being more men for this world to do especially white boys you know white men the damage that they've done already and I don't want to I don't want to add to that so when I found out that I was having a boy with Lake I found out I was about 16 weeks pregnant and I was honestly distraught I was really upset Um, and then I spoke to I was living in Spain at the time and I spoke to my close friend and kind of woman who like taught me everything that I know about mothering and whatnot and she framed it in a way that was like well 
have you considered that you know you might not have good experiences with men around you um but you are now bringing a man into the world that you can influence and you can raise him so that you're proud of him and so that others can be proud of him as well and that moment was when I was like yeah I can't I've got to start speaking out about things I've got to be more I might have these beliefs already inside but I can't just keep quiet because if I keep quiet nothing is going to change and I don't want this to be even if it doesn't change by the time the boys are older I want them to be raised thinking if it's not right I'm going to say something and I'm going to I'm going to use that because I mean they're, they're going to grow into I mean at the moment I think they're going to grow into white men yeah <laughs> You know, they might yeah. grow in, you know, they might decide that they, they don't like the, the male part, but that's fine. We'll deal with that if that comes along. But if they do, they're going to grow up and have a lot of, a lot of people are going to be listening to them. They're going to have a lot of privilege and I want them to know that. And I, I can't, I can't think how I could live with myself if I'd not addressed it at this point in their lives. So that's kind of what, that was the huge switch for me. Yeah. And I mean, I think you know, as I said before, I think it's about the legacy that we're building, right? And so, mm. um, like you, so I was older when I had my, when I had Max, right? I was mm. 25, um, which is pretty old considering, <laughs> you know, the, the, the little average age or whatever that people have yeah. babies. Like, what is that anyway? But, you know, yeah. I digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. But before, um, before I had him, I had 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 similar experiences in my teenage years as well. I was sexually assaulted when I was 14 and, um, you know, kind of never really dealt with that, you know? And so um, when I was around 23, I was starting to be like, I'm never going to have children, you know, as you do. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You think you're so old. When you get old, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I, um, I just was like, you know, I got to 23 and I was like, this this thing that happened to me is really like, has really bothered me, has really clouded like my judgment of people and how could I even Mm. bring kids into the world? Like if I haven't dealt with the trauma that happened to me. And so um, I went to therapy, talked it out, um, really kind of learned a lot about myself in that process Mm. and was really open and really ready to have babies right? I was like, yes, now I'm ready to have babies. (laughs) Um, So at the end of like the year when I was 24, I met my husband, my now husband, and got pregnant pretty quick with Max and had similar feelings about the world. And Mm. I mean, it was 2014, we had a black president, like we're we're in post-racial society, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I was, I was like, yeah, the world is still messed up but at least it's better, right? We have a black president. It's going to be fine. It'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now fast forward almost seven years later and I'm like, this world is, is fucked. Like it's so fucked. (laughs) And yeah, it's just heartbreaking Mm. to, um, to have to have the, the kinds of conversations that I have to have with my kid. Yeah. You know, Um, like for both of them, but really for Max, because it's not fair, you know, like he's so tall that he's already looking like a tween and we're already having conversations about not putting his hoodie up and stuff like that. And this is not the world that I wanted my kids to come into. I didn't want this to still be a thing. You know, I really started kind of, um, evaluating my position in the world because I'm a mixed race woman black and white, right? Black American, white British, and um, kind of navigating the world as a mixed race person. I do have a lot more privilege than people who are darker than me or who are Mm -hmm. fully black or especially in England where everyone is, it's kind of um, mixed race galore right now over there. Like when I was growing up, it wasn't like that. You know, I had a lot of times where I was, didn't have a group of friends because Mm -hmm. there weren't people like me. Um, And now there are lots of people, which is like good, you know, but I think that a lot of people um, 
harp on the fact, especially in England, that there's so much mixed raceness that race can't be a problem anymore. Exactly. You know, and I'm like, yeah. and then when I talk to my friends, um, especially my black friends in England and my brother and all of this, like we have these conversations where we, where we, um, or like, you know, it's not that much different between yeah. the United States and, and the UK. Like, yeah. the the racism is still there. Definitely. You know, yeah. and it, even though people don't want to admit that it's there, you know. Do you know, it's interesting because I think that a lot of it is to do with culture as well. I think British people, and I'm obviously massively generalizing here, but... I do that with like a lot of things, but I think British culture is very quite prude, quite proud, um, like don't rot the bow. Um, but at the same time, they, they can kind of be very like passive aggressive. Um, and I think we have a tendency to kind of hide behind this sarcasm or this, oh, it's just a joke. And the, I, I want to say subtle, but I don't like to say subtle racism because I feel like, that's making it seem like it's not as severe, but it's more kind of like the, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not racist, but I wouldn't want to be posted to whatever um, garrison because, um, oh, there's loads of those that wear the, and they'll be kind of showing their faces. And they, what they mean is, is women that are wearing either the hijab or the niqab. And they're, they're like, oh, I wouldn't want to, oh, no, because I, if, I got, if I got something in the post, it would be, oh, I'd, I'd be scared. And just like comments like that. And they're like, but, but what, like, how is that? How is that? Okay. It's not, it's not okay. And they think that because they're kind of saying I'm not racist, but, or, you know, it's the whole, Oh, I've got a, I've got a black friend or, you know, I go, I go to that corner shop where there's an Indian man. And it's like, that doesn't excuse it. You can't, you can't get away with the tiny little, uh, not even tiny little, but the microaggressions and, and, and that um, like passive aggressive racism and just kind of excuse it as a, well, this is just my culture. Um, and it's funny it, when you mention about, about Max, I had a conversation actually with my mum and my grandma um, about the stand. And I talked about you um, briefly um, because they were really worried that at the stand in Richmond, I was going to take the boys. And obviously the kind of the stuff that we were going through with the the threats and horrid violence that was kind of being shown from the, the far right people. And they, they were obviously worried about the boys and thinking, you know, we've seen what's gone on in different cities. And I mean, not even like London's far away from here, but like Newcastle is much closer and Leeds and there've been problems there. So they were worried. Um, and they were just like, I just don't, do you not think that it will be um, hard for Lake, who's only just turned four, to possibly see these people shouting and yelling and getting violent? And I just said, because I remember a conversation that I had with you, or was it a time that you told me that you, were you um, like stopped by somebody with the kids in the car? And that came into my head and I just thought, and I told them about that moment. And I said, if my friend has children who are this age and this age and they're old enough to be going through that. They're old enough to have their mum pulled over and we've got kids who are old enough to watch their mums, dads, parents, brothers, uncles be arrested and shot. If they're old enough, if we've got black kids here in the UK who are old enough to be experiencing that racism, then Lake's old enough to come and and deal with it and and listen to it and learn you know I don't know some people might not agree with that way of parenting but if late comes with me to one of these protests and he sees angry white men shouting racial slurs making monkey noises like what we saw at, at Richmond then I explain it that's it's not good what they're doing is horrible we don't want to be that kind of person and be truthful because one of our speakers for example Sarah her son was there who's six um so only a little bit younger than Max and he was there having to listen to all of this and I'm thinking this isn't fair I don't get to shield my kids because you know that it might make them uncomfortable they might hear some angry shouting if like people of color everywhere are having to experience this daily children 
shouldn't be having to, you know, you shouldn't have to be having these conversations with Max, but you are. So I have to be having these conversations with my boys. Right. And that's, you know, that's where I'm at with a lot of, um, a lot of my, my parent friends Mm. um, is a lot of them haven't started having these conversations with their kids. And I'm like, okay, but I had to start having these conversations with my kid when he was two, because that was the first time that his skin color was used against him as a negative descriptor by an eight-year-old you know and so if that eight-year-old could have maybe been spoken to about the issues earlier then that comment wouldn't wouldn't have been made right you might not have needed to have those conversations i just could have protected that innocence because that's what everyone's like right yeah so i want my kids to be innocent for as long as possible okay well i don't get that luxury i'm sorry yeah so and also um there are studies out there that show that kids by the time they're about two and a half already have a preference for people who look like them. Yeah. And there's the doll test, which has been going on since the 1940s, which show that black and brown people, kids, like four or five, six, have very um, negative stereotypes for black babies. Yep. And they think white white babies are pretty. And like all of this stuff is documented and people are just like, oh, it's, you know, my kid doesn't see color. You know, we don't see color, we don't teach color. (laughs) It's funny because I heard that exact same phrase from somebody who was literally bragging about their like nearly one year old knowing the difference between red and yellow. And I'm like, no, if your kid knows red and yellow, your kid knows black and white. Like it's just... I don't, I don't understand that. And then I think, I think it meant sometimes as a, oh, I'm not racist because I don't differentiate. But how can you not differentiate? You know, that you have to acknowledge that there's differences. And especially when it comes to parenting, I don't want my kids to have to kind of deal with the horrific things going on in the world. In an ideal world, we'd all live in like this big green field where everything we live in a commune like come on yeah yeah (laughs) and it would be and it would be wonderful wonderful and we'd like it would be like peaceful and you know if we got angry we'd go to like the angry tree or whatever but the world isn't like that and we have to face up to that and I think that I don't know I don't know whether it's this maternal instinct in me that's kicked in but I just I can't look at other people's children and think you're going to have a totally different child to a, a totally different life to my child. And you've not chosen that. This is not your fault. It's nothing that you or your parents, or your grandparents have done. It's my ancestors that have done this. And I'm not okay with that. And I'm not saying that as white people, we have to take on the guilt of all of the white people. But, you know, I said earlier that I'm a spiritual person. I believe in energy. I believe in like transgenerational um energy and and trauma coming through in lots of different ways and you know yeah I might not have personally been involved in setting this up but I want to be personally involved in taking it down that's a big thing for me and I want the boys to grow up knowing that that's not okay um in fact one incident that I I really have to share with you because it was gorgeous was um so Lake is, is like in, really into Spider-Man. He adores Spider-Man. It's like everything for him. So he's watched lots of Spider-Man. He watches all the cartoons and whatnot. And when the Spider-Man, the Into the Spider-Verse came out mm-hmm. with Miles Morales, this was huge for him for two reasons. Because he absolutely loved that he spoke Spanish to his mum in the film. Because obviously I'm, so I speak both Spanish and English to the boys. Um, and so he could understand that. And um, also because he has a friend at school who is black and he looks like his friend and he was ecstatic because now we can both be Spider-Man because I can be Peter Parker and he can be Miles Morales. And I'm like, this is the difference that one film has done. And that representation has meant that he can see the difference, but then the inclusion as well, that it's not you you know, I know it's just Spider-Man, but it's like at four but years it's old, just, it's just little things, right? Yeah. And, um, like, you know, that I'm like cloth viper, natural parenting person. Yeah. yeah. And, um, when I, um, first started working with the cloth diaper company that I work with now, um, yeah. I 
wrote a blog for them in 2017. And the blog is um, about representation mattering, right? Um, Because as I came into really the natural parent, I did a little bit of natural parenting kind of stuff with Max, baby wearing, breastfeeding, you know, all of that. But I didn't qualify for him because at the time it was like, this is what white women do. Like there's no representation for me in this. So it's not for me, you know? And so if we take that from the parenting space to what our kids see. um, So Disney movies and with princesses, most of them are white and they've done a good job of like diversifying now. But They've been around for like, you know, forever. <laughs> and we're yeah. only just now getting, you know, a yeah. black Ariel. Like, come on. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, but, but it's those don't have black mermaids because it's under the sea. Like, mermaids aren't even real. Come on. Like, yeah. I just don't understand this the mentality of you see people defending the Disney princesses and being like, Oh, but yeah, she lived in wherever, wherever, and they lived where and I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's a fairy tale. Like right just represent people because it's important because they exist right you know like represent everybody and it was like the same when um black panther came out and max watched the black panther and got obsessed because he could be a superhero you know because he saw himself represented as superhero he's the same with like miles morales and spider-verse and stuff because he's like that kid looks like me you know he has the same kind of hair as me um and freya is is you know, one of the things I was like so proud of in 2019 was that all of the, I don't agree with pageants per se, Mm. but all of the big title pageants all went to black women last year. And so those are real life princesses, right? To Freya, those are like, those are real life princesses and they all have tiaras and they're all beautiful they all have different hair and they're all different skin tones but they're all black right and so I was so excited to share that with Freya and I'm like yeah you be a princess too (laughs) yeah exactly exactly because it's it's so important like it's so important representation means so much yeah and not just to my kids but to your kids too for them to see that it like Black Panther was like a hit with all types of kids because oh, and then yeah. everyone was like, oh, be a, be a superhero, <laughs> you know, yeah. as kids kind of do, you know, and it was, so that, that was like, that's a fun part of parenting for me is seeing things mm. change, but then there's still yeah. so much work to do. So much work. <laughs> you know? I think, um, I mean, one of the things that, um, I think we're we're quite good at obviously always room for for improvement, but I think we're quite good at like the representation within the home. Um, you know, they're 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 quite big on um Lake's loving Dino Dana at the minute. Um and um and she's obviously it's a it's a little girl who's like obsessed with dinosaurs and like really into um like doing experiments and stuff so very like sciencey thing there's no kind of like love interest or anything there which is really positive and all of the characters there i think there's one white character and she's the old lady that lives next door and that's it so you know things like that we've got lots of books with um just and also i think sometimes as well people assume that when i say oh i've got you know inclusive books they think that it's oh sorry um i think people think that when i say we've got inclusive books they think that it's like books actually talking about the topic and like racism is this and or you know um sexuality is that and it's not it's literally just normal stories but with diverse characters in it's not necessarily a topic about transgenderism um about sexuality about same-sex parents about racism it's just stories with (laughs) diversity just normally included and not kind of touched about so it is become it's becoming normalized in that sense and I do think that we try and do our best at home but it's frustrating when there's then external influences um and you when you hit when you see parents behaving in certain ways um 
and you just know that that's going to be passed down to children and that's that's something that I find really really hard um and again that's I think that's another white privilege thing that I want to just kind of go oh out of my life don't want to deal with you off you go and up until very recently that was that was the kind of way I dealt with it I was like I don't want you like in my I don't want you in my life I don't want to deal with you because you're either racist homophobic um, transphobic I can't deal with you but I realized that by doing that I'm not helping so unless I feel like it's a truly truly lost cause I'm trying to slowly talk a little bit more about it with these people even though I really don't want to because I'm thinking if I don't have that conversation uh, then I can never know whether they might have maybe changed their views and then that might have been passed down to to the children because it, it makes me sad you know seeing children kind of growing up with these different kind of ideas and and you're thinking you know you you are the you're the next generation as much as I'm happy that our kids are going to be raised a certain way you can't say that for everybody and that makes me yeah equal parts sad equal parts frustrated I suppose yeah and I think I think it's been um kind of had the opposite effect I think people. <laughs> um, so like I unfollowed 500 shops wow. on Instagram wow over the past that's huge days. um mainly just because they did performative allyship and haven't yes. like followed it up in the following weeks and yeah it's yeah. been a few weeks now since yes. yeah. the whole black out Tuesday thing yeah. and it's I'm just like I'm not here for it you know yeah like I don't I'm yeah and I've um unfriended people on Facebook because yeah. I just don't have the energy to yeah and you shouldn't have to spend that energy <laughs> on on people that are just just doing things for the for the likes or for the for the retweets or whatever that's not you know you yeah no you shouldn't have to be dealing with that that's ridiculous yeah so tell me a little bit about um the United Stand in Richmond. Like, what? How did it come about? Oh, what, so. what did you hope to accomplish with it? What do you feel like you did accomplish? Yeah. Um. So <laughs> it kind of came about because. Um. Yeah. So it kind of came about because we there was a, a thing posted on um one of the local forums, basically about um one of the vandalized. You know what? I don't like that word. Um, but you know that's the, that's what the headline used, like the vandalised um, statues or whatever down in London. And obviously, this is a military garrison, and you know there's quite a few veterans here, and they are a certain type of people as well. Um, so they kind of posted it in the local forum, absolutely shocked, and comments such as like, "Oh, if they dare try it over here." then they'll you know they'll up here then they'll they'll get what's coming to them and and stuff like that yeah so um i then commented and i was kind of sharing things that like my view and whatnot um and there was quite a few people that i noticed that were so serving soldiers that were commenting on it and getting fairly um yeah just kind of outright racism and horrible comments um thinking you know that they were just being funny and whatnot so um I was commenting along um and just kind of calling people out where I felt able to um and taking screenshots of the um the comments and then their profiles um because one thing that I've seen a big push for is to report the racism um Facebook won't do anything and you know I a part of me initially was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is people's livelihoods. But then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but with their racism, they're ruining other people's livelihoods. So I kind of got over that. And then that was what I was trying to do with that. But then there was this other woman, um, Lottie, who was commenting and in agreement with everything that I was saying. And we just ended up messing, messaging each other. I checked in on her to make sure that she was feeling okay because of all of the, the comments that we were getting and she did the same to me and turns out she has, she's white, but she has a mixed race daughter. Um, so this was like a big drive for her, obviously a very personal thing. And she was like, we can't, the, Richmond is, it's a beautiful town in the Dales, 
North Yorkshire, it's very, very, very white. Um, you've got the army here. So obviously that's a, that's a big thing. You know, the army is changing in lots of ways, definitely. But still has a certain type of people that are going to think a certain type of way. And um, <laughs> yeah, we, just, we were just thinking, you know, if everywhere else is able to do something, then we should do something too. Because, you know, it's again, going back to that silence is violence thing, um, specifically white silence. So we set up a group. Um, just a Facebook group initially and we're just kind of hoping to educate people and um, open up just the safe space for people to talk um, for people to learn um, and for just kind of us to just realize that we're not like not we're not alone there are lots of us that want change and whatnot and then we suggested doing the stand so we we organized that um and just kind of thought you know let's just do lottie did a lot of the organizing and got kind of speakers involved and yeah so we wanted to obviously when we started organizing it um it was two white women organizing this you know stand up against racism and we were like okay so what what should we be doing we don't want to be here like preaching to black people what they already know that's not what we're here for we want to be amplifying their voices and making sure that they're being heard so we thought well, what better way to do it to get in touch with people in the area that feel able to speak out about their experiences um, and specifically like hatred to this area because i think the biggest thing was like oh there's no racism in, in richmond so we wanted to have people kind of speak about their experiences in this area and um we met the wonderful Sarah who um, read a poem. She also wrote a really beautiful piece that I then recorded on the live. Um, and yeah, so we had a couple of people speaking. Um, we obviously kind of took um, the lead from other groups in different parts of the world that were doing the um, kneeling for the amount of minutes. Um, I think it was, what was it like eight minutes 46 or something like that. Um, so we included that as well. Um, and um one of the speakers also um read out the last words um of george floyd um and it was you know it was really really powerful yeah the run-up to it was was difficult we we kind of agreed that what we do is we'd keep almost like two different groups so kind of the forefront organizers who would be the face um so that any hatred um any kind of negative things will be directed towards us because we've volunteered for it. Um, and then keep the speakers and the people who were, were just not ready to deal with that, with this level of, of aggression in a separate group. So they didn't have to see, see it, which I think was really helpful because a lot of the racial abuse, they didn't have to see um, or like take part in. And there was no energy used up from our black speakers into kind of fighting with people on the internet, which wouldn't have ended well anyway. So, um, and yeah, although that was really intense, the, the day was incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, lots of, I mean, you just look at the crowd that we had and there was lots of diverse people. There was also lots of what you'd kind of look at and think, oh, you're just a normal white middle-class family from Richmond and you'd probably put them in the same boat as other people but they were there and they were like very actively like taking in their role or taking up their role and you know what they could do um on that day to kind of protect um like Sarah's son for example make sure that he wasn't exposed to too many things and and whatnot and there were loads of children lots of teenagers to kind of early 20s um and it was just, you just kind of look around and you think like, this is, this is where the future is going to, going to go. Like the future can only come from this group of people, not the bunch of, for the most part, men, all of them white bar one man, um, who were shouting angrily in fake berets as well. Fake, like, I mean, you're, you know what that's, what that's like, the seriousness of that. And I don't know whether civilian families understand the seriousness of that, but come on. I mean, like to have the gall to not be in the regiment, to have never been in the regiment and wear a beret and then shout stuff like that representing, the, I mean, come on. But yeah, it was just, it was, it was kind of gave me a bit more hope and I hope 
that it gave everybody else some hope as well. And um, there was one particular moment where one of the speakers, she um, she's mixed race and um, her partner's military as well. Um, and she said that she was initially going to speak and, and write something for us, but, um, or like for the event. And, but she dropped out because she was scared for her life. Um, she, and when I say life, I don't mean like physical life necessarily. I mean more kind of her, the life that she has here, because obviously she didn't want to be seen as, you know, the angry black woman. Um, so she dropped out last minute, but then um, she, she was sent as a voice note and we, um, it, was, it was read out like her words and whatnot. But then when the people around the obelisk were kind of shouting horrible things towards us, she grabbed the mic and a whole bunch of us stood behind her and she started talking to them. Oh, and it was, so, I mean, they, they were just shouting back at her and just kind of ignoring, but it, it was so powerful that moment and to, to feel like, she was able to do that. I'm, I'm so proud of her and I'm glad that she felt that she was able to do that in a safe space. Yeah. And like I watched the live and um, watching everyone kind of go behind the speakers, the, yeah. the speaker in particular, while yeah. she was speaking to the counter protest. Yeah. Um, it was just like so moving that mm-hmm. everyone was just like, yeah, let's go let's go back there and like make this her stage right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, And it was just really powerful. Yeah. Powerful is a really good word to describe it. It did feel very powerful. And just so amazing to like, yeah. And I think I wasn't even there. (laughs) It was was intense, the energy. And it was a really like, it's a really hot, humid day as well. So we were all kind of like, like really like worked up and, and, and it was, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was good. And I think like initially the first thing, that we wanted to do with this like the short-term plan was to raise the awareness of it um and that was the whole point of the actual event um but going forward we're talking about what needs to happen in this area um to make positive changes um what we can be doing the conversations we can be having um and how we can make the area as well a lot more inclusive so obviously like on the garrison there's we've, there's lots of different um races um there's lots of different people from different countries um around the area because it's a military garrison like there's people from everywhere kind of thing um and there's obviously the Gurkha regiment here so lots of Nepalese families and yet there's still almost kind of like this um like divide um which in some ways like i get it you know they want to stay within their communities um because they've got lots of like cultural practices that are really important to them but at the same time like the the, the amount of ridicule that sometimes white people throw towards anybody that has different practices um to them and different traditions to them um it's it's enough to make anybody think you know i just don't really want to mix with you and i think having that understanding um, and being able to like build bridges with people is like, kind of better for like them being able to understand. So yeah, so I think moving forward, we want to really focus on what what kind of needs to be done. I think um, Sarah was speaking a lot about unity within the community. And I think, um, like I was saying before, about being able to kind of build bridges and understand people um, and get to know each other. You know, sometimes I think a lot of the time it is, you know, if you, if you get to know somebody, you're learning a different side of them and you're seeing them differently. And I think that's really important to kind of that fusion especially when there's like language barriers especially when there's culture barriers um when you you see you're seeing them in a different in a different way that it kind of it creates connection you know you get talking and you know you talk about each other's children and and you know kind of especially around here you talk a lot about like what husbands are doing and where the army has sent them and stuff like that and I think that's that's a big thing around thing. here oh god yeah <laughs> like where are you <laughs> i'm glad it's not only me 
And I'm like, I'm not my husband. I don't really care about <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, God. I'm glad it's not just me. I'm glad it's not just me. Um, but yeah, and then also obviously focusing on being somewhere that people can come and kind of unpack those questions that are a little bit like, oh, should you be asking that? Well, probably not to a, a black person, but that's okay. You can, you can ask it to me and we'll talk through it so that that person isn't then going and spreading all these, these microaggressions. Um, so we're thinking about setting up something like um, almost like a, like a question time or like a discussion circle. We're not sure quite what we're going to call it. Um, but somewhere where we can talk about these issues and then also where um, people of color can come and say, this is an area that I think is particularly important. Um, and, you know, what, what can you do? Um, and then we, you know, see what we, what we can do. Um, one of the things that obviously is a particular interest of mine is like the maternity and breastfeeding side of things. Um, and in the years that I've been here, so I've been here for um, just over two years now. Yeah, a little bit, like two and a half years now. And um, I've been running the breastfeeding group for just under two years. Um, and I've been to lots of different playgroups in the area. And I want to say 99% of people that I see at the breastfeeding group and uh, other playgroups are white. Um, I have only ever had one black mother come to me for breastfeeding support. Um, and I remember approaching, um, some people in the area and asking them, um, one of them was a midwife and another one was a health visitor and just being like, listen, like I run this breastfeeding group and I know that you've been asked by other people to put the word out there to like your, your, your patients, your ladies that you see in the maternity clinics and, and when you see them on your home visits and stuff um but is the word being put out there to everyone and when I say everyone I mean specifically the other communities that we have here that we're not seeing at these support groups um and one of the responses I got was oh they just kind of deal with it all within their communities and that's from a Yikes. healthcare practitioner yeah and I get it you know there's language barriers but when you know, a, a Nepalese family needs to go to the doctors, they have an interpreter there. And, you know, I know that we could contact an interpreter, but I feel like there's not enough effort put in sometimes from the people who really have the power, especially because we're just a volunteer group. There's, I mean, aside kind of translate posters and things like that, there's not much more that we can, we can do to spread the word. We're relying on midwives and health visitors and doctors to be sharing this information to their patients and I and I don't feel like it's being done because there's this assumption that oh they just kind of deal with it within their communities as if it's like not part of this community as a whole if that makes sense yeah so I was a peer supporter for a while as well mm -hmm. um in Delaware and it was it was pretty similar I think um but it goes back to what we were talking about before like if you don't see people doing it then it's not for you yeah. right and like for some communities like the black community it's there's a lot of extra things that are uh, tied to breastfeeding and so yeah. um reconnecting uh with what your body was made to do is sometimes really difficult for yeah. those communities and they do need yeah. more support than yeah. um than a lot of healthcare prof professionals I use that word loosely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, think they'll, they either say they'll deal with it themselves, like you've experienced, or mm. they'll say, I haven't had um, many ex breastfeeding. I haven't seen yeah. many of them. Like they just go to form yeah. and they're like, that's just what they do. But yeah. I'm like, are you not? supporting them in the decisions that they're making and you're not informing mm -hmm. them of the information that's available to them or the resources that are available to them because yeah. like everything is about information right so everything that is based on race is about information yeah. everything that everyone is doing right now is reading books like it's all about information yeah, you know definitely. and so if yeah. you're not if you're not offering the information to people especially in um 
perinatal and postnatal. Um, Definitely. You're just, you're missing the, that whole, a whole community of people that you're not able to really reach as a breastfeeding yeah. peer supporter or yeah. even someone who's a volunteer, anything, right, in the healthcare field. As a yeah. Black woman who worked, walked through that, um, the amount of people who did open up to me because of the perceived similarity that we have, yeah. well, I was able to help more people kind of do what they wanted. And sometimes that's not mm. breastfeeding, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, it's, it's all about support, right? And supporting the yeah. decision and make But in order to make those decisions, they have to have the information to make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. We're not supposed to be making decisions for people, right? Mm. Which is like my whole thing, um, we've started a kind of like an unlearn <laughs> uh, book group um, where we're examining kind of like a group of 40 people. It's a lot of people um, wow. <laughs> are examining like all the whitewashed history and, yes. um, and white supremacy and how it lives in us and stuff and yes. in everybody. It's not just in white people. Like black people have had to deal with that too. Like we are ingrained with the same information that you're ingrained with, right? Yeah. But sometimes we're lucky when we have parents who tell us the truth. <laughs> um, but yeah. other times we're not, and we're adults, like walking mm -hmm. through this world, trying to figure out what's real and what isn't, yeah. you know? Um, and I was, I did a live in the group earlier, and I wanted to share a quote with you because yeah. um, I felt like this kind of speaks to what you guys are trying to do Mm. and um and also kind of is just really strong you know yeah. and um so it was we were talking about um the myth of abraham lincoln right oh, so everyone okay. thinks he's a great emancipator mm. really what he wanted to do was to emigrate people with an e right <laughs> he didn't want people to come here he wanted to send black people away and he invited um five black people to um the white house and they met with um, Abraham Lincoln and James Mitchell and James Mitchell was like this, his job was literally about emigration. Wow. Um, wow. and they presented this idea of like liberating the enslaved people in the Confederacy. Okay. Right? But they were doing it as a wartime move. Mm. Right. So it wasn't okay. about liberation at all. It was about making the Confederacy suffer. Yeah. Right? Their labor, yeah. their labor, you know, they could, yeah. So um, the five people went away and literally said they're not interested in this, in this deal that you want to make. Yeah. Um, and they said, this is our home. This is our country. Beneath us, or beneath the sod, are the bones of our fathers. Here we were born here we will die. Like, how beautiful is that? It was like the so most powerful, like, civil disobedience is that, is yeah. that I'm not going to leave yeah. here. Yeah. Like, I don't care how you treat me. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, and that was in yes. 1862. And here we are <laughs> a long still time fighting. later. Yeah. Still and we're still fighting it. that same thing. Right. Cause like I saw, um, an interview. I forget who the person, I think it was, it was someone in the cabinet, right? On the, mm. on the UK news. And, um, they were talking about, if you don't like it, basically leave. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, that age old one, like, yeah. And like the fact that anyone thinks it's okay to tell a Brown person to leave mm. the, the place that they, that they were born that their kids are, that their family lives, that they, they don't know any other place, telling them to leave the place that is home for them just because they don't like something that you think is atrocious. Yeah. It's just, it's not funny. No. You know, everyone thinks, seems to think, oh, do you, if you don't like it, just leave, haha. -ha. It's not funny. Yeah. That's like basically telling people that the work that they put in to the country to help the country succeed. Yeah. That their the work their ancestors put in means nothing. Yeah. 
you know? And that's insulting. It is insulting. I think white people, especially white British people, because it goes back to the British culture thing, they have a hard time with admitting these things because they don't want to admit that their history is, is not like, it's not a great one really, but you know, white British people have traveled over the world, decided, oh, this is mine, this land's mine, oh, I'm going to have this one as well. And I'm just going to erase everything that is here and take the bits that I like and control the bits that I don't want. And I think that that comment of go back to where you came from is not only sometimes completely ridiculous because like you can be black and be born here and your parents born here and your grandparents born here like that's a thing do they not know that that's a thing it's a thing and it happens quite often but also even if they have come here like there was a comedian that once said we harp on about how great britain is like how awesome it is over here why why do we have this attitude that people can't come here and or that if people come here from different parts of the world they're going to steal from us they're going to take things that are ours and i just don't understand what you know what no i think i do understand what they're trying to achieve they want to achieve they want the person that they're they're directing that to to feel like they don't belong they want to rock those foundations and you know what I I wonder if it offers any solace to the people that have had that said to them or that are currently having that said to them that they are the foundations of this country. They are the foundations of this world. So if they're trying, if these racists are trying to rile you with go back to where you came from, whatever that means for them, you, you are rooted in where you came from. This is where you came from. And they, I mean, let, let the wind blow let the wind blow but yeah I mean it won't it won't knock a mountain over it can't right right and you know I think that's a a great place to leave it this conversation has been amazing so before we close out I have just like random questions like you know why not right why not so um what is something that you don't think is weird that other people think is weird oh okay oh my goodness there's so many things um probably um so i wouldn't say like i'm superstitious but i have this thing where like if i see a magpie um i have to salute the magpie and say good morning mr magpie and i do it even if i'm mid conversation with somebody and i see a magpie i have to do it and it's just something that I've always done. And I, I have lots of like weird quirks like that, but that's the main one that really throws people. Like I have to be like, oh, morning, Mr. Magpie. And then people are going to look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fun. That's so fun. Like the quirks, quirks are amazing, I think. Um, yeah. And, you know, what do you, what do you wish for, for the world? Oh, wow. That's a big question. So happiness for everybody and safety for everybody and I think that's it's they're big words so there's lots of different interpretations of that but I think if you're if you're happy and if you're safe so you're safe to be happy I don't think there's much more that you could want And I truly, I truly mean when I say everybody, I truly mean everybody because I think that there, there's just, there's, there's lots of it to go around. And I feel that if people were happier, maybe they, they'd be, they wouldn't be so much of an idiot sometimes, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Is that the is that the positive side of me trying to put a nice spin on? Oh, if you're hateful, you know the whole hurt people hurt people. There's no excuse for the way that people are treating people, and I just wonder whether if we just focused on things to make us happy and things that make us feel like we're loved and like we're accepted, then you know it would just kind of spread. I don't know. I don't know. 
you know, it's hard. It's a hard one. It is because, mm-hmm. you know, what does that look like for everyone? You exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Beth, it's been amazing. I am like, so glad so great. This. Why didn't we do this sooner? <laughs> I don't know, oh. you know. Um, well, I hope you'll have me back because I love chatting with you. I love, I love listening to everything that you have to say. And I have to say that in the four years that we've been friends, I have learned so much from, from you and the, the way that you speak about things, the, the passion that you have for things, you have really given me like a view into the type of person that I want to be. And I, I really appreciate everything that you, that you have kind of done in my Facebook bubble. I'm really grateful. Well, I'm so glad to know you. I'm so glad that some random Facebook group joined us together. I know. know. What are the odds? I know. Um, But yeah, but thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for sharing your story with me um, and talking to me about United Stand. And this is, you know, it was amazing. As soon as you, as soon as it happened, I was like, I have to have her on here. So... (laughs) Well, yeah. if you want me back, just let me know. Oh, of course. Like, maybe awesome. next time we'll talk about books. Like, yes! Yeah. Talk about anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about anything. <laughs> All right. Um, take awesome. care. Lots of love. Lots of love.